Hello, everybody. Today is July 17, 2023, and I'm honored to have as my guest today, Seth Codswell, who's the founder and managing partner of Capital, of Running Oak Capital. Hello, Seth. Hi, Bob. And Good to see you. Seth, before we get into what Running Oak Capital does or whatever, just tell us in 30 or 60 seconds or less your background. Sure. I, I grew up, or at least I consider myself to have grown up in North Carolina. Uh, went to school at, at UNC, um, so I'm a Tar Heel. Um, I kind of grew up looking over my father's shoulder, who was in finance, and that kind of was always a little bit of a numbers nerd. So that got me into stocks and markets. And so from a pretty young age, and then all through college, I kind of read everything I possibly could, traded on my own, made many bad decisions over that period, some good ones, um, and then became a trader and I guess later a hedge fund manager in New York. Okay, and so that was after you graduated from college. And then while you were in New York working as a hedge fund manager, you came to Wharton and that's where I met you. You were one of my students. And then after you graduated from Wharton, tell us about how you evolved after that. Sure. So, I mean, my my sole purpose or, you know, one of my uh, my kind of driving purpose of going to Wharton was to explore a, an idea that or a strategy that my father actually implemented over decades um, and just decide whether it made sense to basically put my family's well-being on the line and uh, and really run with it. Um, I worked hard on that while at Wharton, partnered up with one of the professors who kind of helped me, you know, really, um, you know, make an informed decision. When I graduated, I decided to, you know, it was definitely the way to go. Uh, launched the company soon after. And for the last 10 years, I've been working hard to build it. Right. So initially you had a, I guess, as you told me earlier, a long only equity fund, which meant that you didn't short any stocks. You just bought stocks uh, on a long basis and hopefully sold them when they went up or at one point you <laughs> sold them. Sold Ideally. Them someone down as well <laughs> yeah. so now but initially you had this long only equity fund and over the past year or so you've established an etf which is an exchange traded fund what's the difference between an etf and a mutual fund sure so uh, both an etf and a mutual fund are co-mingled funds which means that you basically aggregate um, you know, client investments into one pool. Um, the, and they're sort of treated the same as well by the SEC. However, they uh, trade very differently and sort of under the hood, they're quite different. So a mutual fund, uh, you can only buy and sell it basically, you know, at, at night, more or less. So like after the close, that's when changes are made. Um, for an so ETF, we have to the close hand, of trading on a particular trading day. Exactly. Exactly. On ETF, though, actually trades like a stock. You know, you could so you can buy it and sell it during the day. Um, and so it's quite different, uh, at least as far as trading, it's quite different. It's also one of the major differences is tax wise. So in ETF, there are some mechanisms pretty complex that go on under the hood. But uh, an ETF is also treated like a stock tax wise, where if you know, you don't a client doesn't owe taxes on gains until they sell the ETF, um, which is very different from a mutual fund, which potentially every single year, an investor in a mutual fund might have 
kind of gains that are distributed to them that they then have to owe taxes. So it's actually possible for a mutual fund for you to be down on your investment, to have lost money uh, unrealized, but actually owe taxes. Um, so that's one. That's probably the major advantage of an ETF over a mutual fund. Now, there are ETFs that mirror the S&P 500. Uh, you can get ETFs on, based on a particular type of stocks, particular industry. And what does your ETF do? So our ETF uh, makes the strategy that you know my father created in the 70s uh, and ran over decades uh, and that you know I personally have managed over the last decade. Um, you know, it makes it more readily available. So it, for the last 10 years, we provided it as a separate account, which meant that we would create an account for a client and we would- That's in your long-only equity fund. Yeah, it's the exact same thing. You know, the exact same strategy, exact same portfolio. It's all the same. The difference is when we would set up an individual account for, an, a, client, for a client, which has, you know, many positives, but one of the big negatives was that you needed scale. So you needed like $250,000 to invest, say. Whereas with the ETF, uh, you only need whatever the cost of the ETF is, which right now is $26.70. So there's a very big difference between $26.70 and $250,000. It just makes it a lot more easy. It makes it um, more readily available to everybody. You know, we have some 10-year-olds that are clients. So um, it's, it's, it's very different as far as sort of our reach and our clients. And there's thousands of ETFs now out there. There are, I don't know how many there are, but yes, there are a whole lot of ETFs. Okay, and, so and I'm wrong in the number. Your, I would say back to your previous question, they run the gamut, right? So originally a lot of them were ETFs that are based on indexes. And so they were considered passive. And there are now a growing number of active ETFs where managers are you know, actively trying to create value basically. Um, so it's 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 changing and it's evolving. Now, can somebody find out the underlying securities that you own in your ETF every day? Yes. Yep. So uh, if you go to our web, our ETF website, um, you can see our current holdings every day. And that applies to all ETFs, not just yours. No, it's so that's considered fully transparent, and that has generally been the case. That's very much the norm right now, but. Uh, there's been a, there are a handful, small number of ETFs now that are considered, I think semi-transparent is the right term, but where maybe sort of like a mutual fund. So a mutual fund, you only have to disclose the holdings, I think, as of the last quarter and only the top 10. So, you know, there's not a whole lot of transparency there. Um, there is a growing number of ETFs that are doing something similar to that, where you cannot see the entirety of their holdings. We opted, as much as I kind of would like to go that route for certain reasons, um, we opted to go fully transparent just because uh, that just seems to be, uh, you know, kind of the sweet spot right now. Now, what is, what's the model in your fund or what type of securities do you purchase in your ETF? Um, so I guess I'd say our starting point is companies tr traded on US exchanges with a market cap of $5 billion or more. Um, one of the great things of marketing is you can kind of, as long as it's hopefully truthful and accurate, you can sort of spin um, certain things however you want. I have since tweaked that to say that we invest solely in high quality companies, which means profitable companies 
with reasonable amounts of debt. Uh, because and I've I've kind of tweaked that recently because that group of stocks is arguably the cheapest or second cheapest that it's been in 40 something years, maybe ever. So um, but again, it's it's uh profitable companies that are well run. And then we sort for qualities that we feel are clearly desirable, such as uh, higher earnings growth, you know, because when you own a company, uh, you own a share of their cash flows. And if those cash flows are increasing, that's a good thing. Um, however, we're also very disciplined around the price that we pay. So there's a valuation process um, that is there to really eliminate companies that are overvalued. Ideally, we want to invest in undervalued companies, but everybody says they do that. Uh, I focus a little bit more on sidestepping the landmines um, of overvalued companies. And then we also focus on a handful of metrics that lead to greater downside risk, because if you're able to mitigate your drawdowns even just slightly, it has a, a significant impact on your cumulative returns over the long run. Uh, so again, it's kind of summing it up. It's higher earnings growth, tracked valuations, lower downside risk. Okay. And um how often do you trade the stocks in your ETF? Is it a daily thing? No, no. It's um, so at least as far as the underlying strategy, which again is the exact same as what we've basically been doing for 10 to 40 years. Um, we've settled on sort of a sweet spot where it's um, we basically make changes three times a year um, where we make additions and deletions. Now, we will occasionally rebalance the portfolio um, throughout the year, kind of on an on an as needed basis. But for the most part, we hold the average company for four plus years. All right. And so when you say rebalance, what do you mean by that? Well, the portfolio is somewhat intended to be equally weighted, meaning each holding within the portfolio has the same weight. Right. Um, that's that's quite different from, say, a cap weighted portfolio, which is based upon the size of the market cap or other managers, which, you know, for one, uh, one reason or another, might want to invest more in one company and less than another. Are we intend to basically have the portfolio roughly equally weighted? The problem is, if you do that perfectly, you do a lot. of It requires a whole lot of trading because every which, day when the stocks prices go up or down. You have to rebalance it. Right. Which can get um in the ETF, this matters a little less, but you know, you could potentially be generating short-term gains every day, uh, which makes a very um tax efficient strategy less tax efficient. Uh, but it's also just logistically um you know complicated. And and with the ETF, there actually is a, a small, but there's still a cost to trading. So, you know, we don't want to be generating a whole lot of um transaction costs. Now, if the ETF sells an underlying security at a profit, does that have to? Does it have to pay taxes? It does not, generally speaking. Um, so again, there's it's it's a complicated mechanism going on under the hood of the ETF that enables that structure to not generate gains. I'm not going to go into it because it's very. I mean, I barely understand it. Let alone am I able to even. Um, clearly state it in a way that anybody else would understand. But needless to say, uh, there is a mechanism where you basically uh, move stocks with a gain that you'd like to sell out of the ETF, swap others in. Uh, but it enables you to avoid gains 
um, for as long as you hold the ETF. So even though I'm not a shareholder of your ETF, let's assume I bought it today at $26 and 70 some cents, and I sold it tomorrow at $27, I'd have to pay a gain of about 30 cents a share. I'd be taxed on a gain of 30 cents a share. Correct. All right. Now, what are some other advantages of an ETF as compared to a mutual fund? Can you go through some of those? I think that's the the ability to trade it. You know, it's more liquid, right? So you can trade it throughout the day. That's a big one. I really think the tax efficiency is by far the largest one. Historically, ETF is also generally lower cost or lower fee. So like mutual funds historically used to have a lot of fees baked into right. them. So whether it was like loads, like a front front end load, back end load. And, I, and I'm not a mutual fund expert, but regardless, there were a whole lot of hands in the pie. And um, those who sold mutual funds were rewarded for selling it through uh, the mutual fund or like a fee on the mutual fund. ETF, that does not exist. An ETF, it is whatever the stated fee is. And what about, so how do you, how do you get paid as the um, operator, I guess, is that the right term of this ETF? Is there yeah. a fee that... I think that works. Or an advisor. We're sort of advisor, the advisor okay. on the ETF. Uh, I wanted it to be as transparent as possible. So there's there's a few options, but I wanted it to be as transparent as possible. So what we did is we set a specific number. So ours is 0.58% or 58 base points. That is the fee that a client will pay. Are you? And that goes to us, but then we have to pay all fund expenses out of that. Okay, but 0.58% is per year. Correct. Right, yeah. so just over a half a percent. Yes. Which is, you know, when we were looking at sort of the kind of competitive landscape, that's uh, average or slightly below average for a large cap active ETF and then very and then fairly inexpensive very much on the low end for a mid-cap active ETF. And we're sort of a mix between the two. So we're, I think that we are positioned below, quite a bit below average for what we're doing. Okay. Um, now the process to form this ETF and have it listed, how long did that take? Um, that the, the actual process probably took three to four months um, there was a lot of work coming into that, though, just sort of determining whether I even wanted to do it. I mean, even so when I was at Wharton and I was debating on how I wanted to pursue my company at the very beginning, an ETF was an option. It was something that I considered. Uh, the landscape's changed a lot. ETFs are quite different. But regardless, you know, for the last 10 years, it's always been on the front of my mind. However, what's also been on the front of my mind is there are a lot of managers who got a little too excited, launched an ETF, thought, you know, sort of a field of dreams kind of scenario where they thought that if they built it, they would come and they didn't. Um, and ETFs are very hard, very expensive to operate. Um, you know, let's say like $230,000 minimum just to operate. And so if, if the That's an annual, assets, on an annual basis. On an annual basis. And so a lot of managers had ETF, found that their ETF basically bled them dry. Um, starting my company out of my pocket, and you know, I would have been starting an ETF out of my pocket. I wasn't particularly interested in 
losing a bunch of money. Um, so, you know, part of this process over the last year was kind of, you know, seeing how much interest there was in it and, and ensuring that I felt comfortable with our ability to be profitable in short order. And so there's someone who sponsors your ETF, I guess, where you run it through somebody. Sort well, sort of. We had uh, I had a number of firms, let's say five firms that I had gotten to know fairly well over the last decade or so, who committed to investing a certain amount of money, um, which gave me the confidence that we would be profitable quickly. That's, just just kind of managing the risks. All right, and um, I don't know. I'm just thinking before we conclude, is there anything else? Uh, that you want to say your fund symbol is run r-u-n-n uh we'll be making a lot of jokes on that uh i feel like that's uh that's uh some low-hanging fruit for for plenty of ways to go with that uh but so run it's the running oak efficient growth etf um it's available on pretty much any platform as far as schwab fidelity td which will be disappearing shortly interactive Pershing. It's available to many advisory firms. Um, so. And so, and now, so every day you're monitoring this and this is something that you're doing on a regular basis. Yeah. It's, you know, it's just an aspect of our business, right? It's, we're still going to continue to, to offer our strategy in the way that we historically have. So as a separate account, um, because it does have certain benefits over an ETF. Um, and so we're going to do both. They complement each other. And it's really just dependent on what a client's needs are, particularly with regard to taxes or, or against scale, the amount of money they have to invest. Um, either one could be a good fit. Wow. All right. Is there anything else you want to add? Because this has been, it's fascinating what you're talking about. And it seems like it's a neat way to be, um, to take your ideas about investing and bring them out to the public and hopefully be profitable for you as well as the people who purchase your ETF. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I think the timing is fairly ideal. I think the market is, um, certain aspects of the market are about as risky as they've been since 99, uh, which happened to be historically one of the you know better periods for our strategy, certainly relative to the market, because we're very uh, risk averse. Um, so for those reasons, I'm excited. I, you know, I, I mentioned when we spoke earlier that uh, in my previous job, I, I just felt like I wasn't providing a whole lot of value to many people. Uh, but with the ETF, you know, the goal with starting the company was always to take this strategy that my father created that I felt could really help people, um, just making it more readily available to others. And and now all of a sudden with the ETF, we can do that. You know, again. Anybody with $26.70 can invest. So it's that's really exciting. I think that's, you know, I've got a long ways to go as far as sort of feeling like I've um, accomplished what I, what I, what I frankly feel I should. Um, but as far as, you know, my decision to go to Wharton and pursue this, um, you know, I, I think that I'm actually achieving that as far as, um, you know, making people's lives better. Now, the, the value per share is based on the value of the underlying stocks that are in the ETF, correct? Correct. All right. Is there anything else that you want to add? Because this is just fascinating to me, and I'm just thrilled to see that you're doing well, you're doing this, and uh, 
I also can't believe that you're living out in Minnesota now, somebody who grew up on the East Coast, North Carolina, and then um, worked in New York, and now you're in the central time zone. But it's just always yeah, well, to see you. Once you start having kids, you know. Um, now, Minnesota is amazing. I think it's, uh, it's a wonderful place to raise kids. Um, I love it here. Still make it out to New York. And we'll actually be in New York. I guess one of the cooler aspects of doing an ETF is uh, in a few months, we'll be out in New York to ring the bell on NASDAQ. So that'll be that'll be exciting. Um, and then well, I just did my first interview with uh, with NASDAQ, which um, was interesting. I, I'm pretty sure I didn't breathe for the first two minutes. Uh, my wife could tell, but luckily most other people couldn't. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of new things that are going on. Um, I, I definitely feel like I'm in a period of growth, which is both exciting and painful at times. But well, um, I have a tremendous amount of confidence in you, and I know you're going to do well. And I'm very proud of you. So thank you very much. Thank you.